Yeah, no. Y'all get extra exercise because of Philip. Stand right back up. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 40 is where our scripture reading comes from today. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it and for what it says to us today. How amazing that is, Lord, that your word is not dated. It was spoken at a particular time and place in a particular culture and set of circumstances. And yet, Lord, there are timeless principles and your word cannot be stopped. Your word cannot be limited. It cannot be contained. Lord, your word is everlasting. Your word is powerful. Lord, your word cuts sharper than any double-edged sword. God, your word penetrates our hearts. Your word cuts away, cuts right through the stubbornness, the stiff-necked, all of the things that want to resist. Father, your word speaks directly to us in our time and place, in our circumstances, past our pretenses. Father, past everything, all the fronts we put up. God, your word speaks straight to our hearts. And we ask that today your spirit would empower your word and so that your work might be done in our lives, in our families, in our church, in your world that your name may be glorified. And God, we pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The explorer and the frontiersman, Daniel Boone. You remember him. There's been movies, TV shows. We all know a song about him, I imagine. He was once asked, you know, because of all of his great explorations and all of his great trials, Daniel Boone, did you ever get lost? He said, I've never been lost. He said, now I've been bewildered for weeks upon a time, but I've never been lost. Well, maybe some of us are like Daniel Boone, and you'd say, well, during, during 2020, I've never been lost. But I think even the most prideful of us will say, at some point in this year, I've been bewildered a time or two. Uh, This is a year that has been crazy. It's been unpredictable, unforeseen. It's been just so out of it, so out of the ordinary. And today we have a perfect passage for addressing the needs that we have. You know, there are some times when we need to be taken to the woodshed And there's plenty of Bible verses about that that will take us to the woodshed and will straighten us out. There's there's times where where we need just a pep talk and there's some great pep talk uh, things in there. There's times when we need specific theological instruction and there's great doctrinal passages. But there's times when we just need something to surround us and comfort us and, and just get us on the right path. And that's exactly what this passage is about to help us to get on track where we need to go. You know what I love about God's Word is that it reveals to us the kind of God that we have. And in God's Word, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of times where there's some, there's some stern and some hard words. There's some straight talk. 
And from that, sometimes people get the idea that the God we serve is a mean or a harsh God. But in fact, truth is love. And so when God talks to his people and he speaks truth and he says judgment is coming, you need to repent. That's not hate. That's love. That is warning them this path leads to destruction. I love you. I don't want that to happen to you. That is love, not hate. It is hate to let someone go down a path of destruction and not warn them that doom is coming. But you know what you will see when God speaks to his people? You will never see him coming and saying, I told you so. You messed up. I warned you, (laughs) you're a failure now, you messed up, and I'm going to rub it in, rub it in, rub it in, and you're just doomed. You know who does that? Satan. Satan is the one that takes your past and your failures and your faults, and he keeps rubbing them in, and he says, you're not worthy, you could never be used by God anymore, you've sinned so much, why don't you keep sinning again? Because, you know, you're just a big screw-up, you're just a failure, you're just a mess-up. That is the voice of Satan. That is the voice of the deceiver speaking to you. When you hear those kind of things, that's never the voice of God. Because you know what God does? He tries to warn you when you're going down that wrong path. But guess what? When you come to him broken and you come to him repentant and you say, God, I have messed up. God, I have screwed up. I have failed you. I have gone the wrong path. And God, I, I, I'm, I, it, it's over. I've done all I can. God doesn't say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Have you ever done that to people where you've, you've confessed? Oh, man, I really messed up. You sure did. And they start giving you the lecture. You're like, what are you doing? I just admitted to you that I messed up. And they, like, come back at you. God doesn't do that. And that's what's beautiful about the book of Isaiah. It's really split into two distinct parts. Chapters 139, 1 through 39 are all about God saying, hey, watch out, watch out, watch out. You better get right. You better watch out. Judgment is coming. And they ignored God and his prophets and ignored God and his prophets. And the devastation and all the warning, and they kept ignoring God, and they kept taking his patience and his long-suffering. And and instead of seeing that as kindness, they said, oh, I guess we can just ignore him. Because he hasn't judged us yet. Guess nothing's going to happen. And finally the judgment fell. And then they were devastated. They were a people who had been judged. They were a people who had been taken from their homeland. They had lost almost everything. But you know, chapter 40 on to chapter 66, you don't hear that harsh voice of judgment anymore. You hear the words of comfort the words of restoration, the words of redemption, because God knows they are a broken people. God knows he does not need to thunder judgment through his prophets anymore. He knows they are now broken. He knows they are now in this place where they need words of encouragement and kindness and comfort. And that's what he's doing now. He says, comfort, comfort my people. And in this passage we're going to look at this morning, we see four voices that God commands to us. And you could even say this is a harmony here of comfort. Four different voices that are given to show us 
what the comfort for God's people who are broken. I, I don't know where your brokenness is this morning. Maybe some of you are broken because of a loss of a loved one. It could be recent. Many of us in our congregation have recent losses. Some of us are mourning losses because it's a year or two or 10 or 20 years ago, but it's the holidays, and, and we're keenly aware of those kind of losses. Some of us have lost financially or career-wise or relationships or maybe health issues. But there's all sorts of losses and brokenness, and we need comfort from God. We don't need, we're not at the point where we need someone sternly telling us. We need someone, a God who can say life is not over, a God who can understand how badly we're hurting. And this is the message of God for those who need comfort. First, the first voice that he sends is a voice of peace, and we see this in verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. You know what? I grabbed the different version of the Bible than I meant to. But what I, I, I meant to grab, the New King James, because... The translation here has to do with the, um, the battle being over. The idea is um, that there is peace now. That there is peace. And so this war that basically they've been fighting against God. They had been struggling against him. It's done. It's over. And God says, now you have peace with me. You are no longer fighting against me. You know, people wonder about, well, well they're supposedly a Christian, but they're living the wrong way, and, and they seem fine. Here's, here's the deal. First of all, that's between them and God, okay? It's not your business except for to love and to care for them and to encourage them to be on the right path. But if you're in some way, like, jealous what does that say about your own spirit? If you're wanting to sin and get away from it, your, your heart's not right with God. If you're in any way jealous of them being able to sin and get away with it, you've got a problem. But secondly, one of two things is going on there. Either they're not really a believer, or if they are a believer, I don't care how happy they look on the outside, on the inside, they are in turmoil. On the inside, they are absolutely torn up because they are a house divided on the inside. They are at war with themselves. And God says here, hey, you know what? Israel, you've quit repenting. You've quit rebelling. And, and you know what? No, no longer, no longer are we at war anymore. You know something that all through the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets railed against, and then you never see in the New Testament anything about, hardly ever, Jesus talking about, is idolatry, as far as literal idolatry. The Jews, when they came back from exile, they didn't go back to Baal and Asherah and all those other false gods that they were constantly saying, don't worship them, don't worship them in the Old Testament, and they were somehow getting caught up in that. They were done. They said, yes, Lord, we get it. We really finally get it. And so you don't hear Jesus talking in the New Testament about Jews quit worshiping Baal, quit worshiping Asherah, quit worshiping all these other ones. 
Because they said, you're right, you are the only God. And they got it. And God says, you are no longer at war with me. You are at peace. A voice of peace. Second, there is a voice of purpose. And again, these are not going to match up. And that's my fault, not the guys in the back, because I grabbed the wrong Bible out of my office. But verses 3 through 5 talk about a voice of purpose. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, some of you are thinking, boy, that verse sounds familiar. Why does that verse sound so familiar? Well, it could be for a whole lot of reasons. Number one, if you use the Bible app for your devotion, it was the verse of the day today. Number two, that verse was read up here this morning during the Advent and uh, candle lighting. Number three, that verse is quoted in the New Testament. uh, And it is applied to John the Baptist. Now let's look at what its original um, fulfillment was about, and then we'll talk about how it was fulfilled in John the Baptist's life. So here it's saying, the second voice calling in the wilderness, and that's basically the backwoods, the desert, the unpopulated areas, make a way for the Lord, or a highway, we might say. Straighten the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Here's what he's saying. You're over here, way over here in Babylon in exile. Guess what? You're going back home. Let's go ahead. You need to believe this and trust this. I'm bringing you back home. And as a sign of faith, you need to go ahead and start preparing the way. You believe what I'm saying to you as an act of faith in that truth. You need to go ahead and get ready because I am moving. I am working. I am bringing you home. And you need to go ahead and start getting the way ready for the hundreds of thousands of people that I am bringing back to Zion. As they make this pilgrimage back home, you need to make sure there's a good road, there's a good path. And it'll, it'll be building up some areas, it'll be knocking down some areas, it'll be clearing out some areas. But all these people have got to travel back home, and you better send the highway department out. You better send some good workers out there. You better get it ready for the travel home. Later on, the gospel writers saw a second and greater fulfillment of this prophecy. Yes, God was coming again. God was interacting in history in even a greater way. And there was one sent before And that one was John the Baptist. And he would prepare the way for Christ. And he would come out and he would call the crowds to repentance. And he would say, get ready. Get ready for this amazing event. Get ready for the Son of God who is going to come. And he would call all people, even those who said, I'm already a believer. I already believe in God. Maybe so, but are you living right? Are you standing and walking in the way you should? Are you faithful? 
Are you loving God completely? Get yourself in the place you should be. And so John the Baptist was a greater fulfillment of this passage of Scripture, preparing the way for the Lord. So that was the voice of purpose, or you could even say a voice of planning, of getting ready. If you believe God when he says, I'm going to do something, it gives you purpose and it causes you to prepare and plan. The third voice in this harmony, this harmony of voices in this message of comfort is a voice of perspective that we get in verses 6 through 8. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. A voice of perspective. Why does this come? Why does he all of a sudden, he's talking about, okay, I'm comforting you. I'm bringing you back home. And all of a sudden, he's talking about, hey, God lasts forever. And you people, man, you're here today and gone tomorrow. You, you people are like the grass. You know, what is grass? It's all of a sudden great. And the next day, the lawn gets mowed and it's gone. It's a matter of perspective. God is helping them to understand, yes, your problems are great. Yes, your sorrow is great. Yes, all that you've been through, it it is real and it is big and it has affected your life greatly. But if that becomes your whole world, if you see those circumstances around you, uh, the money problems, the relationship, the health issue, the, the grief you're going through. If that becomes your whole world, if you think that's everything and you forget the bigger picture, that is God and his kingdom and his command over everything, then you've gotten everything out of whack. You need to remember that God and his kingdom is much larger. It is the real picture. And all of us have to remind ourselves, and I know, I understand, when you're going through hardship and sorrow, it takes up your whole world. I mean, you can't even think about anything else, and that's just natural. Your brain just kind of shuts off when you're in the middle of that. That's that's not to judge anyone. That's just how we react. But we also have to be reminded in that moment of hardship and sorrow, we have to remind ourselves Yes, God, but you're there and you're bigger than this. You're bigger than my sorrow. You're bigger than my confusion. You're bigger than my doubt. You're bigger than my hurt. You're bigger than my suffering. God, you're bigger than anything that I am facing. And that's not a word of rebuke. That's a word of hope. Because if this thing that I am running into that's beating me up, if it's the biggest thing out there, then I'm doomed. Because I can't, I can't get over this big thing. It's haunting me. It's dominating me. But if it, as big and ginormous as it is, if it is just minuscule compared to God, then I've got hope. 
then I know that even though it towers over me, God is infinitely bigger than this issue that's hurting me. And there is hope, and there is a future, and there is something else to look forward to. And so this third voice, this voice of perspective, helps us keep everything looking in the right way and not getting out of control. The fourth and final voice is a voice of praise. It says, you bring good news to Zion. You go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with them, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lamb in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. When we look at God, once we see him compared to our problems and how much greater he is, and we, look, we start, instead of staring at our problems, our focus begins to be more on our God. And then we start to look more at his character. And we, be, we begin to be reminded of how loving he is and how powerful he is and how kind he is. And we know that he's going to carry us like a shepherd carries a lamb. And that he is strong enough, just like David protected his flock from the wolves and the bears and any predators that would come after them. Our God is a greater shepherd who will carry us and who will protect us and will tend to us. And as we begin to focus more and more on God and his strength and his power and his goodness and love, nothing can stop us from overflowing. In praise, we are overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God. We are blown away by his glory, by his love, by his grace, and by his might. Looking at God gives us hope. It causes us to be thankful and grateful. And these emotions bubble up into praise. This passage is at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. Some even call it the second book of Isaiah. It's the second part of Isaiah. And it's no accident that God wants us to see. I don't care how you got into this mess. It may have not been your sin. It may have been someone else's sin. It may have just been the sinful world you live in and, and, and some accidental thing, some act of nature, whatever. Or it may even have been your own fault. It doesn't matter. Because once you're in the mess, once you're broken, once you're repentant, once you're coming to God and you're saying, God, I'm here. I need you. I confess my wrong. I'm throwing myself on your mercy. God is not here to whip you, to beat you, to kick you while you're down. That's the devil. That's Satan. God is here like a mighty shepherd. God is here as your creator, 
and your Redeemer. And he has sent out four voices in perfect harmony that are sending out this message of comfort that God is here to reach down, to redeem, and to wrap you up in arms of love, to restore you, to bring you home, to do everything that you need, not just once you want. God loves us too much to do just what we want. God loves us enough to do what's best in your life. And so God says a word for you today, and it is comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. The New Testament tells us, blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our many sorrows. This morning, I want you to think of God as the God of all comfort, who loves you, and whatever loss, whatever hurt, and whatever pain, and whatever struggle you've been through this year, or even you're going through at this moment, look to God and allow him to provide you the comfort that you need. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we come to you and we thank you that you are that loving and kind Heavenly Father. You're not here to berate us. You're not here to call us names. You're not here to embarrass us. You're not here to put us down. And Lord, Father, if any of us have wrong views of you that we've gotten from some authority figure in our life, and somehow we've misjudged you, Father, expose those lies right now. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to understand that, God, you desire for us to draw close to you. You desire to restore us. Father, help us to not turn away from you, to not rebuff you, but to allow you to embrace us as you so desire to redeem and restore us. May we be at peace. First of all, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never given their life to you, what I mean, Lord, is that they've never simply put faith in your son, Jesus Christ, so that they may be a believer. Father, I pray that today that they would have faith in you. And Father, if there's some believers that have gotten away from you and they've started fighting you and rebelling, Lord, God, may today they repent of sin and return and be restored. And Father, may we simply all rest in you. Quit trying to do it all on our own, but simply trust you to receive your embrace. Father, as this song is played and sung, Father, may we turn our hearts fully to you, trusting in you. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together?